Those are powerful, joyful words. He is risen indeed. And I think this morning likely we feel the hope of those words. We feel the joy of that proclamation. But I I want to take some time today to also consider how stunning that phrase is. I want us to be drawn into the gravity of those words. He has risen. When our daughter Josie was about two years old, I woke up early on a Saturday morning and we packed her up, I packed her up in the stroller and I walked with her about a mile and a half into the the small town of West Point Grey. It's a a suburb or sort of a village on the west side of Vancouver, Canada, right on the Pacific Ocean. And there was a parade that morning. And Josie being, you know, maybe just turned two, I don't know that she had ever been to a parade before, so I thought we could get out early, we could have some good daddy-daughter time together. And so we got there before the parade started, we found our spot on the sidewalk, we set out our blanket, we got ready. And eventually the parade got underway. And as the first few floats passed by, you know, I I was sort of feeling like the proud dad. I was starting to feel nostalgic. I was thinking, you know, this is, it's a perfect morning. It's this beautiful small town parade, just like the ones I grew up with as a kid in the Midwest. But as a few more moments went by, I noticed my two-year-old looking worried. And little Josie started pointing up the street, and she said, Dad, what are those? And I looked up, and I saw three or four mascots headed our way, dressed in animal costumes. They were maybe 100 meters out at that point. And I I tried to explain. I said, Josie, those are just people dressed up in costumes, dressed up like animals. And I figured she would just go with it, but she didn't go with it. Not not only did she not like my answer, but that worried look on her face then turned into panic, which then turned into terror, which then turned into all-out screaming. And the screaming wasn't just for a few seconds. It was like 30 seconds, then a minute of just kind of on the top of her lungs yelling, And everybody at that point is looking at us like, what's wrong? What happened? And so as quickly as I could, I I picked up our stuff. I threw it in the stroller. And we we packed up and we headed about two blocks away to a nearby playground where Josie could finally relax. And when when we got there, we took a few deep breaths. And I was thinking to myself, what just happened? Right here I was feeling excited, nostalgic, quaint, and my daughter experienced that as as sheer terror instead. But then, as I, I took a minute to think about it, my next thought was this. You know what? A six foot tall cow standing upright on two feet with big goofy eyes that don't move, walking right at you to shake your hand. Actually, that's kind of a disturbing image. Right? Somehow as we grow older, the shock value wears off and we kind of just think it's normal. Nostalgic even, right? 
But what if my two-year-old was actually the one with a more honest, more rational assessment of the situation that morning? Right? She was stunned. She was troubled by the fact that this just wasn't normal, Dad. In a similar way, many of us woke up this morning, we put on our bright spring outfits... Maybe you set your table with Easter lilies yesterday or today. We brought out baskets of candy to celebrate with our kids. And the music we sing here on Easter morning, right, it's, it's bright, it's crisp, it's filled with joy and hope, as it should be. And this is what we come to expect of Easter morning. But as we turn to Mark chapter 16, as we come to the conclusion of his gospel, we discover that nearly all of the sentiments we bring to Easter morning were absent to the participants on that first Easter day, at least for the first many hours of it. As we turn to that account, we'll see that Mark gives us an account or a description of Easter morning that is more disturbing than predictable. An account that's less endearing and more shocking, troubling even, to those who were there. And so as we hear the good news, the gospel of Mark proclaimed to us today, I wonder if the most honest, the most rational response we could have to what Mark tells us is to simply ask, what just happened? Right? This is not normal. This is not things as they normally take place and should be. Something powerful and unsettling has taken place. And, and we need to reckon with it. We need to wrestle with it today. So if you turn with me to Mark chapter 16, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. Let me pray for us. ...as we read the word of God. Jesus, we celebrate this morning... ...that you are indeed a risen Savior. We celebrate your appearances... ...to Mary and to Peter and the disciples... ...and to many in the days after Easter morning. Thank you that you continue to live... ...and confront and challenge and lead us into resurrection life today. But Lord, if we have made the reality of that morning too predictable, too small, too familiar... ...then Lord, would you shake us, would you shock us, would you trouble us even with this text this morning. Pray that as I teach... May the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's Mark 16, verses 1 through 3. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, 
who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? If we go back a little, a little earlier in, in this gospel, chapter 15, we know that on Friday afternoon, the day Jesus was crucified, in the middle or, or later part of that afternoon, Jesus' body was taken down from the cross. And, and as they were taking Jesus' body down from the cross, the rest of Jerusalem was preoccupied with other kinds of preparations. Right? They were readying their tables for a Passover feast. And so because the, the feast was almost upon them, because it was a Sabbath day that was about to begin... Jesus' body was taken from the cross in some haste. It was wrapped in linen and given to a man named Joseph who made arrangements to place him in his own tomb, which was nearby. And so just before the sun could set that day, Jesus' body was, was placed there. A heavy stone was rolled in front of the tomb and the Passover weekend began. There was no time to linger on that evening. There was no time to dignify Jesus' body fully with a proper burial. Right? Everything came to a stop until a new week of work could begin. And everything then waited until Sunday. Sunday was the first day of the week. It was the day of the week that things resumed, work resumed, routine, resu routine resumed. I imagine on that Sunday morning, people woke up early to hang out their wash. They rekindled the fires in their hearths. And they set out to run whatever errands they had that morning. But as they were returning to work, these three women returned to a different kind of task. Right? One that was looming over them still. One that required bearing up under the heavy weight of their sorrow. Mark tells us in verse 1 that Mary and Mary and Salome pushed through the grogginess of pre-dawn hours. And with some resolve, they gather themselves and they actually gather quite a, a heavy load of supplies with them, these perfumes and spices... And they set out to apply them to the fresh wounds of their grief. Right, they go to the tomb armed with tools to, to soften the stench of death. And they go to anoint the crucified body of Jesus, now entombed. And maybe it was that they were still half asleep at that time of the morning. Maybe it was the stress and the grief... But Mark tells us that in verse 2, the women were, were most of the way there from Bethany or wherever they were staying to Jesus' tomb in Jerusalem. They were most of the way there before the thought occurred to them, well, how are we going to move that stone? Right, that would take a, a large number of strong men to do the task, and, and we are just three women think that line is the last clue in, in this whole collection of details, verses 1 through 3. That these women are not prepared for the way this morning is going to turn out. 
right? They, they are prepared in one sense. They have come with faithfulness and, and dedication. As one commentator says, they come determined to render one last service to their master. But here's the problem. Everything they bring with them that morning turns out to be useless. Right? From the, the anointing balms they carry to the worries and the grief they carry with them. Right? All of that has to be set aside when they finally lay eyes on the tomb. Verse 4. I wonder what we have brought with us this morning into this Easter celebration. Right? What plans, what expectations, what ideas about myself or about God? What, what do I come carrying into this day? And what if it just so happens that some of those things that I am carrying turn out to be not all that useful? Turn out to, to almost be a hindrance for me to receive truth and the power of Easter morning, right? Would I be willing to part with those things? Would I be willing to lay them aside? Look with me at how Mark continues, verse 4. But when the woman, women looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. I think for most of us, the, the most surefire way to get us stressed out is to mess with our expectations, to mess with our usual routines. Right? How many of you, when you get up in the morning, if you can't find your car keys, right, that, that just throws our whole day into this downward spiral? We start to feel on edge when things are out of place. When these women arrive at the tomb in verse 4, everything is out of place. Right? On that morning, nothing is where it's supposed to be. The women come with this anxious expectation and, and, and concern about who's going to move the stone. When they get there, the stone has already been rolled away. Right? What happened? Then they, they rush into the tomb, bracing themselves to confront Grief once again and the reality of, of Jesus' dead body that they have come to anoint. And instead, where the corpse should have been, right here is a young man in a white robe, apparently an angel. Verse 5 concludes with the statement they were alarmed, that they were struck with terror. And with shock. Right, what just happened? Radical disorientation is not fun for us. Right, it's not a, a place we want to hang out in. 
And at this point for these three women, there, there's no joy yet in Easter morning. Right? Just fear. Just alarm. The, the angel in verse 6, he, he seems intent to try to calm them down. But as he does so, he adds the most disturbing detail of all. He says, you're looking for Jesus, right? Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus the crucified one. Well, he's not here. What? He's not where you've put him. He has risen, the angel says. Now, you and I like that phrase. Right? We, we say it to each other. We send Easter cards to each other with it printed in big pastel colors. But to these women at that moment and, and to the uninitiated in all of, of the glory of Easter, they are words that are alarming, Mark says. I want to give you a thought experiment this morning. Imagine you could take everything you know about Jesus, everything you've heard from the scriptures, everything you know about Easter, and that you could erase that from your brain for a moment. And then imagine going to your mailbox this week and getting one of these cards and opening it up, and you get this, this note that says, He is risen. Right? Not only would you be thinking, well, who are they talking about, first of all, but you'd also be thinking, risen? Like, come back from the dead? It would be an unsettling message. Right? Even kind of creepy to us. Let me tell you a, a true story. When I was in seminary, I had a part-time job tutoring a young Chinese teenage boy. And he had just recently moved to Canada, and he was learning English, so I was, I was spending time teaching him English and over a year or so, we had become pretty good friends. And so one Sunday, I invited this boy, his name was James, to come with us to church on a Sunday morning. And he was curious. He had never been to a church before. He hadn't been raised in a, a Christian home. And so we went through all the songs. We went through the prayers. And then we sat down again. And, you know, the sermon was 25, 30 minutes. And, and James, not really being comfortable with English at that point had lots of questions, and he kept whispering over to me in the sermon, and he'd say, who's that guy up on the stage? And I would explain, well, that's the pastor, that's the sort of leader of the church. And then he'd say, well, what's he talking about? And I'd say, well, he's, he's teaching us a, a passage from the Bible. And then he, you know, he would go on, and he'd, he'd sort of notice something else in the sanctuary, and he, he saw this big T-shaped wooden thing propped up in one corner, and he said, what's that? And I said, well, it's a cross. And he said, I think I've seen one of those before. Why, why do they put that up on the stage? And I said, well, we believe that Jesus was put to death. He was killed on a cross, that he was buried, and that three days later, he came back to life. And when I got to that last word in Chinese, the word fuhua, which means to be resurrected, to come back to life, James just about fell out of his seat. He gave me the most astonished look I've ever seen in church. And usually you talk about this stuff, you get kind of knowing nods. James was like, that's what the guy up front is talking about? 
A guy that came back from death? Fuhua? And I think that the language of Easter morning, right, given an honest, given a fresh set of ears, is actually pretty unsettling stuff. It's shocking. It takes time to sink in. It, it takes time to come into focus. And I think that's what Mark is describing happening with these women. Look at how Mark concludes his entire gospel, verses 7 and 8. The angel continued, But go, tell his disciples and Peter, He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now if I had to guess, in in the years of Easter sermons you may have heard, maybe none, maybe only a very few have ever been taken from the Gospel of Mark. And the primary reason is this ending. Three trembling women go running out of the tomb in silence because they were afraid. End of story. Now, your your Bible might have an asterisk at the end of verse 8. They may have added a number of extra verses there. But biblical scholars, no matter how conservative, no matter how liberal... They agree that the earliest copies of Mark, the version of the gospel that Mark intended to give us, ends at verse 8. How do you make sense of that? How do you preach on that? Why does Mark stop here? Well, first of all, I think if you go back and reread the rest of Mark's gospel, this kind of thing happens more than once. In Mark chapter 4, Jesus tells the winds and the waves to be silenced. And that story ends with a group of disciples who are terror-struck, terrified. And they say, who is this Jesus? Right, the next story, Jesus goes and he heals a man who is filled with demons. And he sends him back into his village. And Mark concludes that story by telling us that the villagers were astonished. They were amazed. Then the next story, Jesus goes back to the other side of Galilee. And he heals a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. And after she is filled with his healing power, we're told that she too is overcome with fear. She trembles at the feet of Jesus. I think Mark wants us to know that to meet Jesus is not ordinary. To meet Jesus is not predictable. To meet Jesus is not even safe. Right? If you think you've got Jesus figured out, then think again. Right? Jesus is always a guy that's going to explode our paradigm of him. And we have to keep coming back. We have to keep asking. We have to keep reimagining what just happened. Who is Jesus? In his autobiography, the great writer C.S. Lewis 
talks about his conversion to the Christian faith as one of these terrifying moments. Lewis was, uh, in his, his adult years, he was a staunch atheist at Oxford. And yet Lewis says he could feel the steady, unrelenting approach of him I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. And Lewis, in his own atheism, he was grappling with this this arresting appearance of God in his life. What he called the hound of heaven, who was pursuing him unrelentingly. And so he says, finally, in the summer of 1929, he writes, I gave in. I admitted that God was God. And I knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Right? Releasing control of his life felt more like defeat than victory. Right? And it wasn't until he, he truly wrestled with who God was, as he says, that God was God. It wasn't until later that the joy and the hope and the power of that reality transformed his life. In the same way, these three women run from the tomb on Easter morning. And they run, it says, with fear. Fear and trembling. But as they go, fear is not the final word given to them. I think the final word is truly given in verse 7 in the command of the angel where he tells them to go. He says, go from here, gather the other disciples and go to see the risen Jesus who has promised to encounter you, who has promised to make himself known to you in his glory, in his resurrected state. Now we know from the other three Gospels, from Matthew and Luke and John, that these resurrection appearances of Jesus will begin within just hours of this proclamation. So why does Mark stop here? Why does Mark leave us waiting? Why the cliffhanger? Well, I think Mark intends us to put the angel's words to ourselves. Mark's gospel demands a personal response from us. What are we going to do with an empty tomb? Are we willing to to lay down all the stuff we brought to that tomb, all the expectations we've carried? Are we willing to set those things aside and to go on and to encounter the risen power of Jesus? Jesus. I love this painting. It's by an artist named Tanner, and it's just simply called Mary. And it has her sitting there in an empty tomb, wondering, troubled by the reality that Jesus isn't where they had put him. What do we do with that? 
This morning, are we willing to worship a Jesus who has gone ahead of us? Who is inviting us into a kind of discipleship that is more alarming, more powerful, more beautiful than anything I have ever conceived of? But to enter into that, I have to go on. I have to respond to. I have to part with what I expect, the normal and the routine. And I have to consider that, that this Jesus is always bigger than I have figured him to be. I'm going to leave you with that challenge today. To yes, know the hope and the joy and the power of, of a God who has raised Jesus from death to life. But may the reality of the empty tomb be sufficiently troubling to you today as well. So that it might lead you to, to wonder at and to pursue and to ask the glory and the power of Jesus to make himself known to you. That you might know a Jesus who is no longer there in the tomb. That you might go on to know the Jesus who has risen, just as he said. You pray for us. Lord, I pray that, that each one of us would know the power of the risen Christ at work in us. Lord, we come with our limited understanding. We come with our broken lives. We come weighted with the grief of sin and death. Lord, thank you that you have not remained where you were, but you have unsettled those things. And that you have breathed new life through the power of your life, through the power of your death, through the power of your resurrection life today. In the strong and mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.